millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Adventures in Hellworld presents Who Shot JFK? Who Shot JFK? It was Lee Harvey Oswald. Hello everybody, I'm Mike Rains, aka Poker and Politics. Welcome to an episode of the review of the movie JFK. Haley had stuff to do this weekend, so we're going to review episode 10, the crushingly disappointing payoff to Rob Reiner's series next week. So I wanted to put up something this week for the Kennedy stuff, so I figured I'd just review the kind of jumping off point for where this madness really got out of control, and that would be uh, Oliver Stone's JFK, which is, of course, just uh, like a ridiculous movie. Um, so the truth of JFK, the movie, is that it is about the Jim Garrison investigations, which Jim Garrison is basically a headline-chasing crank who concocts this ridiculous theory that a conspirator named Clay Bertrand was part of the plot to kill the president. And he eventually uh, decides that Clay Shaw, a New Orleans businessman, was actually Clay Bertrand. And as a result, he uh, decides to uh, arrest him and charge him as being connected with the conspiracy to kill the president. And this story portrays Garrison's uh, investigation into uh, Clay Shaw as legitimate, as a thing that was a good thing to do that Garrison was on the right track. 
I've made this reference before uh, that this movie is would be like watching a movie in 30 years where A-list Hollywood talent uh, decided to uh, present Lynn Wood and uh, uh, Sidney Powell as the protagonists of January 6th and the 2020 election, that they were in the right about things. So the movie starts off, Kennedy's been killed, uh, everyone's very sad, Jim Garrison's heartbroken over it. Uh, we get what I believe is Guy Bannister, is one of our big bads, and we immediately establish that the people that were happy that Kennedy is dead are bad people. They're the bad people that are uh, cheerful that this happened and may have worked to achieve it. And by that, I mean uh, Bannister uses the N-word and talks about how all these minorities got together with uh, – they rallied together to elect this flaming liberal Irishman Kennedy, and now he's doing all these peace treaties. He just says the words peace treaties, which I uh, don't really remember Kennedy doing any peace treaties. But um, the idea is simple, that uh, basically uh, – Kennedy is bad because he was trying to uh, reach detente. He was the peace president. He was building a path towards peace, as we've heard Rob Reiner say a million times. And this is um, the gist of the movie at the start. And also that like once Lyndon Johnson takes over, Lyndon Johnson's totally cool with Vietnam and doing all that good stuff. And then Garrison gets on a plane. He talks to a guy, and the guy that's on the plane is like, "Oh, the, this old bullet zigging and zagging." And Oswald hit him with the third shot when the first shot's always the best shot because that's the one you you get your aim down on easiest. It's just all this kind of stuff. It's the idea that the elites know that Kennedy's death was a conspiracy is an open secret, and they're letting Garrison in on the secret truth that Garrison's being like given a peek behind the curtain, but he can't do anything about it. He can't actually bring the truth out to the public. And this uh, also then ties into David Ferry, who is supposedly this guy that knew Oswald is working uh, with the anti-Castro Cubans and doing all that fun stuff. And Ferry is, being he's being interrogated he's being questioned by garrison and eventually uh ferry uh, he dies and of course uh his death is immediately uh seen as suspicious um and uh, garrison's just like what if they gave him this drug that would look exactly like this and all that kind of stuff and which does that sound like anything we've heard on the Reiner podcast about, Oh, this guy died mysteriously. And obviously it was because they, they, these people just kill everybody. Um, Ferry died of a berry aneurysm and the autopsy concluded no foul play, all that good stuff. Um, So of course uh, it's silly, but, this movie, again, presents all of these things as being true, being real, and being legitimate. The movie has what I like to call in it the three validations. And uh, these validations are uh, that um, Garrison is right about everything. 
And the reverse order of the validations is the best way to do this. The end of the movie is that uh, Clay Shaw is acquitted, which is the real result of the trial, that Clay Shaw is acquitted very quickly. The jury basically laughs Garrison's case out of court. And we get a interview with a juror and the the juror says something to the effect of well it was a conspiracy but we just couldn't tie we just couldn't tie Clay Shaw to it like the the juror makes it clear that Garrison proved his case that Kennedy was killed by a conspiracy it's just that Clay Shaw was so uh, tangentially related in the situation that uh the jury couldn't connect the two men they couldn't put the two men together to make it stick which always makes me laugh because if you think about it uh you've got jim garrison in this courtroom talking about how it was a coup d'etat with lyndon johnson waiting in the wings and we have this uh video the we have this clip where Lyndon Johnson says, I'll give you your damn war, uh, indicating that he's obviously pro-invasion in Vietnam, or escalation in Vietnam, I should say. And uh, that is so silly to me because it makes it seem like if Jim Garrison had indicted Lyndon Johnson, he would have got a conviction that he, that, the conspiracy was so true, but Garrison just picked the wrong defendant. And if this was the case, if the jury had been like, oh, yeah, absolutely, totally 100% conspiracy, that's obvious, um, then what exactly, why did Garrison not pursue the bigger fish? Why could he not get an indictment against those people? And so we have that vindication that the jury did say that Garrison was right, but he just, they, they just couldn't convict the guy that Garrison went after. And this is nonsense because the jury was interviewed afterwards and they were just like, you know, I never really thought much about the Warren commission, but now that I have uh, had this trial, I kind of think it's more legitimate than it really was. I mean, I just think that, they had more going for them than what I was, what I believed previously. And so Stone has to lie about this. He has to change the story from Garrison's case was laughed out of court to Garrison was totally right. He just didn't hit, he just didn't get the right defendant to convict on the charge because the conspiracy was so obviously true. The jury was swayed about that. They just couldn't put the two and two together to get to Ford or convict Clay Shaw beyond a reasonable doubt of being a part of that conspiracy to kill the president. So we have that vindication. The second vindication is, the, is in a lot of ways to me, the most important vindication. It's the most important scene in the movie, really, to me, because it's the QAnon scene. And by that, I mean, it's the scene where uh, Jim Garrison's young daughter gets a, there's a phone call and Jim Garrison's young daughter picks up the phone and she talks to a creepy guy. And the creepy guy says that her father has entered her in a beauty contest. 
and he wants all this information. He wants to know where she'll be on this certain day so she, he can like have her be a part of the beauty contest and all this good stuff. And after um, a little while of that, uh, the mother grabs the phone and asks who's calling. And then she uh, hangs up. The, the guy hangs up on her. And then uh, Garrison's wife goes over to him and says, honey, this guy was calling my, our daughter and trying to get her to like be part of some weird, creepy thing. And Garrison's just like, you know, whatever. He's a crank. The, the cranks do these kinds of things. It's just the way the world works and whatever water under the bridge. Don't, don't let it bother you. And then the wife is like, no, this bothers me. My daughter was just threatened and you refuse to acknowledge that my, that our, our daughter was threatened by this person, that this guy is doing some weird, creepy stuff. And maybe this weird stuff is happening because you are pushing this Kennedy thing and maybe you should, you know, back off the Kennedy stuff and uh, just be a normal husband and lawyer and just do your job and not be pilled. And Garrison rejects this idea. He's just like, no, I'm pilled. And I need to find the truth out about JFK no matter what. No matter where it goes, no matter what it costs me, we need to uh, get to the truth of the Kennedy assassination. We have to uh, do this. So as a result, um, he's just like, no, I'm not backing down. And uh, whatever whatever plight befalls our family, we just going to have to roll with it because that's the nature of being a truth seeker, fighting the deep state and trying to expose the truth about what happened to President Kennedy. And. That's just literally every QAnon lunatic yelling at their family about the fact that they cannot let the adrenochrome farms go. They cannot let uh, the truth about John McCain being executed at Gitmo for his crimes go. They have to keep pushing. They have to keep believing in this stuff. And it just shows you like that mentality. And in this movie, we are presented with the QAnon person, Jim Garrison, as the protagonist, as the hero, as the guy that we should be siding with and that the normie wife is the bad person who's trying to wet blanket this stuff. She's trying to prevent uh, her husband from finding the truth. And just seeing that is really repulsive because, again, Garrison's a crank. None of his... None of his evidence holds any water. None of what he was proposing was relevant in any way, shape, or form. But we're not told any of that in this film. In this film, he's right. He's right about everything, and the conspiracy is true, and it's real. And that is the way we're told the story. Now, on top of all that, uh, the wife eventually does get pilled. When Bobby Kennedy is assassinated, it's at this point that um, she's like, oh, shit, like they, they killed Bobby the same way they killed Jack. This is the way this is, this is what's going on. The deep state is real. My husband was right the whole time. She gets pilled. She eventually sees the truth. Her husband is vindicated. He's right. He 
saw the truth and she just refused to acknowledge it because she wanted to stay nor she wanted to stay a normie she wanted to take the blue pill and just have her regular life and her regular family with her kids and her husband and now she's been ripped out of the matrix and she has to see the truth and that's what all these QAnon people dream of that's what they all aspire to that one day they will be the ones to wake up their families. They'll be the ones to show their everyone that they were right and that they they knew what was going on. And so you have that going on. That, that is the, the the vindication of the family, the vindication of the people that love him, that they knew the truth. The final vindication of the movie is that. Uh, He's right about Clay Shaw being Clay Bertrand. Now, the the mechanics of the movie are generally that Garrison uh, believes, talks about stuff, and then when he talks about those things, we get B-roll footage of the events that Garrison is talking about being shown on the screen to let us know that... Um, we're we're just given the visual representation of it and that this is done in a very managed fashion where uh when david when david ferry is uh accused when when they when we hear about david ferry's death we see david ferry in black and white running away from the faceless murderer that eventually grabs him and uh drugs him and kills him and this is something that repeats itself over and over again in in the movie uh Whenever Gar- like when uh, they talk about how they found Oswald's palm print on the gun, we get uh, B-roll footage of Oswald's corpse and some faceless deep state agent putting Oswald's corpse's hand on the gun to get the print. So there's a very defined way where we know what is uh, Jim Garrison speculation and what's supposed to be happening in reality. Reality is in color. Jim Garrison speculation is in black and white. And so we go through those two things. The big moment in the movie where Garrison is vindicated is when uh, Clay Shaw is brought into the interrogation room. And when he's brought into the, where he's brought into the booking room. And when he's brought into the booking room, he is asked if he has any other aliases or other names. And he tells the uh, cop, Clay Shaw, he Clay Bertrand. And this is done in color. This is not done as part of Garrison's speculation. This is just 100%. This is a real thing that really happened. Clay Shaw did admit to the fact that he was Clay Bertrand, which is not true. This did not happen. And, um, the movie plays this up as though this was the big event. This was uh, Garrison's case and it was cruelly taken away from him. When in reality, uh, this discussion, there was literally like two days of legal arguments. Uh, Garrison knew that this was going to be a very contentious, very um, fraught with peril situation because basically he had one witness who claimed that uh, Shaw said this and there were numerous other witnesses who said that Shaw was never questioned, was never, uh, this didn't happen. 
And at the end of the day, the judge sided with the witnesses who said that it didn't happen, that he never said he was Clay Bertram. And yet the movie, again, portrays this as um, Garrison is being railroaded, that Garrison is being denied the ability to present his case fairly, which is not what happened. Uh, This was not an event where suddenly he decides to bring up the Clay Bertrand thing. Everyone freaks out. Everyone loses their minds, blah, blah, blah. No. There was a long-running debate and discussion, and he knew this. And it was actually Garrison's uh, own side that requested the jury be uh, removed from the um, courtroom while this while this uh, discussion and debate was being had. And also, like Garrison's main witness wasn't the Clay Bertrand thing. It was this crank guy who was absolutely nuts, who's not even in the movie. He was just a lunatic and was destroyed on cross-examination very quickly. And that, and they don't bring this up in the movie because it makes Garrison look really bad. Now, um, the other, then the big moment in the movie comes when we finally get Garrison's uh, big reveal. We finally get Garrison uh, telling us what happened in the assassination. And I love this part of the movie uh, because it is uh, patently ridiculous. It is an aggressive denial of reality. And uh, because this episode is going to be shorter, uh, we're going to take our uh, Rob Reiner mandated ad break here at the 20 minute mark. Back in a moment. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So I just told you about the JFK um, setup for Garrison Speculation reality. And garrison speculation is in black and white, and reality is in color. But now the really fun thing here is while garrison is doing his blow-by-blow for the Kennedy assassination, where the shots are coming from, who's firing the shots, all this good stuff, garrison is talking, and we get the black and white to indicate uh, the things that are happening. We get the black and white to indicate that this thing happened and then that thing happened. And what's so great about this is that suddenly Garrison's commentary, suddenly Garrison's explanation 
for how all these things happened overrides the Zapruder film. It overrides what actually happened in the real world. So Garrison's giving his speech, and we got this shot hitting from here. We got this shot hitting from there. We got blah, 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 and blue, blah, blue. And in order to explain how Connolly gets hit without Kennedy getting hit by a bullet, we have Jackie Kennedy pull her husband aside so that Connolly can be struck by the shot. And that's what we see in the black and white footage. The black and white footage has Jackie uh, reaching out to her husband, and then she pulls him towards her. And this little movement, this slight little tug that Jackie initiates on her husband results in a clear path from the shooter to uh, to Connolly being allowed. And then Connolly is hit by that bullet. And this didn't happen. This did not happen in reality. You can watch the Zapruder film. Jackie reaches out to her husband. She has one arm over his shoulder on the other side of him. And on the side that's closest to her, she has her hand on his elbow because his arms are splayed outwards. His elbows are are flailed outwards. And so she's like trying to comfort him and she's looking at him and she's confused as to why is my husband uh, acting the way he's acting? Why does he... Why are his arms out? Why is his face distressed? And then he gets shot in the head and she's able to put two and two together. But she doesn't move him. She at no point actually manages to uh, manipulate her husband in such a way as to clear the path so that Connolly can get hit by this shot. But in this movie, uh, Garrison's speculation is more powerful than what actually happened. Uh, He's able to actually break the world. And then uh, a few moments later in the sequence of events, uh, Garrison has uh, black and white footage of the Secret Service's limo. He has the brake lights of the limo come on and the limo seemingly stopped as to um, so to allow the fatal headshot to land cleaner. And of course, the limo doesn't stop during the assassination. The, uh, the the limo stays moving at the same slow rate consistently throughout the entire film. And this is again just something where the movie flat out lies about reality. The movie is just like, you know, it would be better and more fun if we had the limousine just stop during the shooting. So we're just going to put that in there. We're just going to have Jim Garrison just, again, break reality and do that. And then after um, those things, 
that's we we that's our story. That's the story that we get from this um movie. Uh, a couple other really obvious and egregiously wrong things that happen in this movie uh are a uh he uh stone spends a long time uh being very upset about an epileptic who had a seizure and was transported away from parkland hospital uh before the assassination and uh the man who had this uh epileptic episode is basically kind of indicated as an, as part of the plot he is a guy that um he's like all oh, this guy freaked out and had this epileptic seizure and he faked it so that the assassins could sneak into the place while everyone was distracted by him. And in reality, um, the guy was just a person who suffered from epilepsy. Uh, he went to Parkland hospital. And then after he went to Parkland hospital, he uh, left because he wasn't received. He felt better. He recovered from his uh, seizure and no harm, no foul. And then he realized he wasn't getting any treatment because, oh, wait, the president had shown up having been shot. And literally it was all hands on deck to treat the president and the governor who had been shot. Uh, the name the name of the man was Jerry uh, Bell, uh, Bellcap, uh, B-E-L-K-N-A-P. Bellknap? I don't know. Uh, I'm terrible at names. So. And, and Stone really goes after this guy. This is a the, the, him being a part of this is a big part of this. So we get to hear that nonsense a few times in the movie, and the just throw your hands up in the air in frustration uh, kind of moment in the movie is when uh, Kennedy. Uh, they they show the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository, and they state that um, there were temporary workers that were um, on the sixth floor helping to repair the floor, which is such a ridiculous lie that um, you can't even wrap your head around it. It's absolute nonsense. Because if that had been the case, uh, those people would have been uh, sought after, like, immediately. That would have been the ultimate investigation into who these people who were not regular employees of the Texas School Book Depository, who were they? How did they have access to the floor from which the government said the fatal shots were fired that killed the president? And we also get a very long bunch of the military ran the autopsy and they made sure those doctors didn't do shit about shit. Uh, because, again, this is the conspiracy. This is the plot that the government let civilian doctors handle Kennedy's body. They let civilian doctors talk to the press and say things like President Kennedy's throat wound was an entrance wound. And then after they did all that, they just uh, then they then and only then did they decide to take control of these things and make sure that Kennedy's body was handled in in accordance with their dictates and their uh, view of things uh, at Bethesda. 
which, uh, as I've said before, uh, Jackie Kennedy was the one who requested his autopsy be at Bethesda. She he, she decided he was a Navy man, so he should be autopsied at the Naval Hospital. So the conspiracy would have had to have known what Jackie's wishes for the autopsy were before they could have uh, assembled their autopsy butchering team to screw with the autopsy. So, I mean, that's, I mean, I could go on for forever about this movie. Maybe one day I will do like the, the deep dive and do scene by scene of this film, which I think I did on my, on the, on the $5 Patreon stuff. So if you want that, if you want that, you can, you can put in the money. I'm watching the movie on mute and now I just saw the, the epileptic seizure. They just showed it again. Oh God, Stone loves the epileptic seizure. And now, and now we got the hit team coming onto the sixth floor, who were obviously just uh, random people. It's so silly! It's just such a silly movie. Like, just think of what this movie is claiming happened here. You've got guys on a phone on radios; they're all on the sixth floor, and they're uh, like just handling uh, the assassination here. And who are these people? Like, how did nobody in the Texas School Book Depository notice this gaggle of men grabbing their guns and heading up to this window to start shooting at the president? Why would you ever think this was a good idea? Like, literally none of the locations where the assassins are firing from are good ideas because the grassy knoll is very exposed. The grassy knoll is not great. Uh, Umbrella Man. Oh, they showed Umbrella Man. I love it. Oh, Umbrella Man's so dumb. But yeah, this movie is just absolute train wreck nonsense. And uh, it's it's really funny. It's just very silly. Um, Because if you were the if you were the assassin on the grassy knoll, boy howdy. Are you being hung out to dry? Because you got to get so lucky that no one catches you. I've been to the Grassy Knoll. It is uh, it is very well and uh, properly out there. There's not a lot of places to hide. And one of the great parts of this movie is um, they have all these people talking about a flash of light and a puff of smoke from the Grassy Knoll. And Oliver Stone diligently, vigilantly, obsessively looked for any uh, firearm that could generate a puff of smoke, and he could not find any of them. So uh, instead, he just literally got a smoke machine and just put smoke from the grassy knoll that way. That was how he did it. Because he didn't have, he couldn't do it legitimately. He couldn't do it with an actual, um, he couldn't do it with an actual gun. So he just decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to make do. I'm just going to fake people out by putting in this, uh, smoke effect from a machine. And it's nonsense. It, it, again, it just goes to show you the aggressive dishonesty of the movie where, Stone doesn't tell you that. Stone doesn't tell you. Oh yeah, by BT Dubs, BT Dubs. I uh, had to fake the smoke from the grassy knoll because it doesn't come legitimately. It's just great that way. So uh, there's the I don't know, quick, 
quote-unquote review of JFK. I don't know how long did I go here. Probably hear my mouse clicking because I'm pulling back into the uh, studio. 30 minutes. So, anyways, um, I got a couple questions here, and those questions are, first, uh, Dennis uh, Kabilis asks, uh, the film seems to say that someone told a certain number of Secret Service agents and other protective personnel to stand down that day. Is that even true? If so, why would that have happened? Uh, it's not true. Um, the movie talks about uh, an intelligence agency, an intelligence group that was like told to stand down. And in reality, um, they actually had about like eight people in Dallas that day helping run security for the um, for the for the motorcade. So that is not a. Uh, that is not a true thing that actually happened. The uh, yeah, the hundred it was the hundred twelfth military intelligence group, and in reality, uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations took testimony from Colonel Robert E. Jones, who had been uh, the operations officer of the hundred twelfth military intelligence group from June nineteen sixty three until January nineteen sixty five. He was also questioned about a variety of matters, including the unit's role in protecting the protection of the president. During his delicious trip, not only did Jones not mention any order to stand down, he explicitly noted that his unit provided protection for the president in Dallas. He stated, quote, we provided a small force. I do not recall how many, but I would estimate between 8 and 12 during the president's trip to San Antonio, Texas, and then the following day on his visit to Dallas. The regions also provided additional people to assist, and that additional people from Region 2 and that is additional region from people too. Hearings before the subcommittee on the assassination of President John F. Kennedy of the Select Committee on Assassinations, House Representatives, Executive Session, Washington, D.C., April 20th, 1968, page 1 through 14. Prouty's claim, uh, Prouty, who is Mr. X in the movie, uh, who is also hilariously, uh, that the character is that of Richard Case Nagel. In, uh, Mr. X, that Donald Sutherland's character, is basically Richard Case Nagel and... Uh, also, uh, Prouty, this uh, Fletcher Prouty, who are the people that were talking conspiracy about the Kennedy assassination. Um, so Prouty's claim is thus flatly at odds with the on-record sworn testimony of the operations officer of the unit. Like so many of his claims, it just doesn't jibe with the historical record. And I got this from uh, JFK slash, uh, slash, uh, not slash, like dash, dash assassination dot net slash proudy HTML, HTM hashtag uh, one ISM three. Maybe I'll post a link to that on <laughs> when I post this. I'm probably not going to forget because I'm terrible about these things. But yeah, I read all of that off a website. I'm not plagiarizing. Please don't come for me, H bomber guy. So, um, there was no stand down order. Uh, there is also ridiculous conspiracy theories that like while the shots were ringing out, the guy in charge of the secret service on the backup car told the secret service agents not to intervene, to not jump off the limo and, and assist the president, which would have been a really wild thing for them to do because witnesses would have heard him say that. And then there would have been a lot of people going, yo, what the fuck? Why were you telling the officers not to save the president from the assassination? And there's also a lot of talk about uh, JFK's motorcade uh, not being uh, protected very well, that his uh, security was poor. And the thing is, Kennedy's motorcades were just 
kind of dangerous the whole way. I mean, there's photos of uh, Kennedy in San Antonio and the Secret Service car is further behind him than it was in Dallas. Um, there are numerous uh, motorcades um, that JFK was a part of where instead of sitting in the back seat of the car, he was like sitting actually on the uh the back he was sitting on the on the trunk of the car he, like his entire upper body was exposed to the crowd not just his like head uh so kennedy um kennedy and his motorcades were a dicey proposition a lot in a lot of places so i mean uh you you had this sort of uh blase uh handling of security from uh, the president and the secret service when these motorcades were happening and there's even like talk um in these situations where it, like the kennedy uh you know he would just sort of like blow off the secret service and like walk over to a crowd and start shaking hands and being all buddy buddy with people and so like the risk of something happening to Kennedy in these situations was always there. It was, there was, it wasn't like uh, the Dallas motorcade was a particularly vexing motorcade where the security was way slacker and way less um, stringent than it was in other, in other locations. He, uh, like, people always point out these things that like secret service protocol was uh, broken and it, but it was constantly broken because the car is supposed to be over 40 miles an hour and it wasn't uh, windows are supposed to be closed on buildings. They weren't um, there is uh, this video. Uh, I'm looking at a photo now of Kennedy. He, he is, he's in a white limo in Houston um, and the Secret Service are, I mean, my God, the Secret Service could not be in a less, uh, a less responsive uh, positioning to handle uh, as anything that would have happened to the man than they were in this spot. Like, literally, there are three Secret Service in the backup car, and they're not even on the running boards. Like, they're sitting in the back of the limo, this, of, the, of their limo, just, just chilling. There's a couple cops on motorcycles on either side of the president, and there's a few more cops on motorcycles around them. But there's nobody that could react to an attack on the president with any sense of speed. I mean, this is just it's just nonsense. And that that was kind of the standard way these motorcades were run. And then Kennedy got killed and they had to start taking security seriously for this shit. Cause I uh, can't be having the president get murdered by some nobody who decides to just go to work with a gun in his bag. And that's that. So thanks for that question. And uh sub zero shirt art says, sorry, your exchange with a person calling you a spook about Lee Harvey Oswald, getting his rifle via general delivery to a different name and legislation involved in retrieving an item, but not sure what the point of contention was. Okay, so what this person was arguing is uh, basically 
they tried to hit me with another silly little thing, which was that Oswald did not get the gun that was uh, in. So Oswald puts in a mail order for a gun from a mail order catalog that was selling guns. And um, what happens is uh, the gun Oswald gets is a um, different one than the one that was in the um, that was in the the ad. And this person was like, "Oh, like Oswald didn't even get that gun. What's going on there?" But uh, I did my own research, and by that I meant I mean I went to Wikipedia. And Wikipedia had the answer, which was the fact that Oswald's uh, the the people that were uh, selling the gun through that ad had run out of the model that Oswald had ordered, and they were filling out uh, they were sending out a different gun, slightly different gun, as a result. And um, so, basically, what happened was um, when Oswald had uh, Oswald ordered the gun. Um, under and, and had it mailed to a P.O. box that was under uh, A. Heidel, which was one of the which was the alias uh, Oswald used for a lot of his uh, shady shit that he was doing. And uh, so he, uh, <sighs> oh, sorry, but uh, he. Had the PO box under that uh, that other name, and as a result, uh, he um, the person was basically making the argument that Oswald would not be able to get the gun uh, through the PO box because the PO box said that it was under the name of Alec Heidel, and Oswald would show up and they would be like, "No, there's no way that." Uh, you can have this gun. And, but the uh, person in charge of the post office, they stated that um, basically if you showed up for uh, something and said, hey, I've, I have this P.O. box and there's a package for me waiting there, that the they would just give it to you. They would just give you the item because they would – they didn't think that people would uh, be asking for stuff from a P.O. box that wasn't their own. And that is what the post, um, that's what the post uh, office guy said to the Warren Commission. And that is how Oswald got the gun. Now, this is a very silly argument to make because we have the photographs of Oswald holding that rifle that he had his wife take of him in the backyard of his home. And those are the photos where he's holding the rifle and his handgun, and he's holding the communist uh, newspapers. So Oswald is very much flouting, he's very much flaunting the fact that I have this gun. I am the proud owner of this Mandelkar Karkana rifle. So the idea that there is some sort of breach in the chain of custody where Oswald could not have got his hands on this gun, therefore Oswald could not have done this, is very silly. But that's what the guy was arguing with me. I mean, and of course, I'm sure that if we had gotten into the weeds about it, he would have told me that those backyard photos with Oswald and the gun were faked. And yin and yin and yin, when uh, the Warren Commission, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, and pretty much anyone who's ever looked at those photos who has any idea and any understanding of how photographs work have all said they're authentic and real. So, yeah, that was the story of the 
Oswald post office box and how this guy thought he had a real gotcha about Oswald not being able to have access to uh, the rifle that killed the president. So uh, that concludes our uh, two-question mailbag. I do thank you guys for asking me those questions. Uh, the Super Bowl is about to happen in a few minutes, so I'm glad that I kind of got this in under the wire. So uh, I'll post this tonight. You guys will you'll, by then you'll know who won the Super Bowl probably, and that'll be really fun. So I will uh, talk to you'll hear me all on Wednesday on the Standard Hell World Pod, and me and Haley will finish the Reiner cast this upcoming weekend. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, tell people about the pod. Grow my brand. Be my street team. Do work for me in exchange for, I don't know, a feeling of goodness in your heart, knowing that you're helping a guy telling the truth about the world to uh, spread the truth out there. If you want to give me money, go to patreon.com slash politics. Give me money. I love money. It is a good thing to, for me to have. And uh, if you don't want to give me money uh, and you got money to give to people, give it to love146.org. They're great. They try to fight child trafficking, which is a good thing for us to do. So for this, uh, I don't know, excellent, incredible, dynamic, fantastic review of the JFK movie, I am Mike Rains, a.k.a. Poker and Politics. Good speed, patriots.